An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 387, Submission 426. Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends aired on NBC Saturday mornings from September 12, 1981 to November 5th of 1983 for 24 episodes over three seasons. How many episodes longer than the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show and Uncle Crack's block is that? Yeah, as Chico is showing you, eight. Okay, good. All right. We're going to do this live. Here's the fantastic opening. No, it's amazing, Greg. It's amazing. Oh, oh, fantastic is another Marvel property. Fantastic is another show. Here it is, the opening to Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Hopefully, I don't torture your eardrums this time. his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. amazing friends now guys i got some questions about the opening sequence here okay so we see spider-man iceman and firestar right here sitting like whatever spider-man sitting on the uh the couch here firestar is sitting on the bed iceman i don't know what he's doing he's got his knees all bent up right here and then for some reason, there's a poster of the Hulk on their dorm wall. Well, you have to remember, this was before Peter boot up with the Avengers. So here we see Peter Parker with gold. And Bobby Drake here, Iceman, he would have already moved on from the X-Men, I'm guessing. Who this lady is, I have absolutely no idea. But I'm guessing that we're going to have an answer for that in the next 45 to 60 minutes or so. Yeah, however long this is. But there's some other things I have talked about. Iceman, like, completely freezes himself and then just breaks the ice to become Iceman. Okay. Well, of course. Haven't you ever seen the way he... uh steps on the scene in Marvel versus Capcom. That's his thing. Like how Green Goblin's flying around like, yeah! Huh? What the heck is this lady doing with fire? 
And then, all of a sudden, they're running into Doctor Doom's eyeball. Okay, I have a legitimate question. Was that a dorm room, or was that just a studio apartment? That was a studio apartment. I'm guessing they got that from Aunt May, but they tricked it out to become a crime lab. Well, hold on. There's going to be an explanation for that, as we'll get to later. This is actually the third Spider-Man TV series. But we remember 1967 to 1970 show. And then there was actually a show that aired in syndication in 1981 for only 26 episodes. They sold it into syndication. And then by the end of that run in 1981, actually, it wasn't even in the end of that run. If you remember what they did with the real Ghostbusters and Sonic the Hedgehog, where they had a separate TV show for weekdays and then one for Saturday morning. That's what happened in 1981. Because in 1981, for weekday release, you had 26 episodes of just Spider-Man. And for all intents and purposes, it was a separate production, one that we may get to at a future date. But on Saturday mornings on NBC, you had Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And it was brought to both syndication and NBC in the early 80s by the producing team of David H. Patty and Lee Gunther, who by the this time, they were through with the Pink Panther and later Looney Tunes. I want to say this was the first production of Marvel production since acquiring the Patty Freeling animation. So, the Patty, Gunther, and Marvel saw what was going on on ABC with the Super Friends. With all of the DC Comics and Wendy, Marvin, and the Wonder Dog and the Wonder Twins and Bleak, their space monkey. And they thought, why not Spider-Man? So, ABC would have the Super Friends. NBC would have the Spider Friends. But there were significantly less Spider Friends. There was, of course, the Wall Crawler, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And then you would borrow Bobby Drake from the X-Men. And then we have a third character who is supposed to be the Human Torch, but the same legal issues that kept the Human Torch from the Fantastic Four cartoon would spill over to this production. So they replaced the Human Torch with somebody who is similar to, but legally distinct from the Human Torch, called 
Firestar. Who was created specifically for the court, too. It would still be like a few years before she was rolled into the mainline Marvel Universe. Fun fact, Firestar's original name were considered Firefly, Starblaze, and Heatwave. I don't imagine Starblaze would work because there was another show on the air at this time called Starblazers, if you remember that. But yeah, we have these three spider friends living in... It looks like a queen's high-rise, I want to say, but they're all attending Empire State University at this time. And on the side, they fight crime using their superpowers. Actually, all three would technically be mutants, but only Bobby Drake would be one of the X-Men. Although, isn't Spider-Man technically not a mutant? Well, he was mutated by that radioactive uh, bite. Yeah, but he's not an X-Men mutant. He's not an X-Man. He is a mutant. But he's not born a mutant. He was acquired mutancy. Well, isn't any superhero in the Marvel Universe who's not born a mutant, like, don't they eventually acquire powers anyway? So it's like, isn't there, like, some kind of term for that? A superhero, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah, that's basically what it is. Because Tony Stark became Iron Man, but he is not a mutant. Yeah, but he did acquire... Well, no, because didn't he acquire, like... I guess it's like Batman, where he doesn't really have power. Yeah, yeah you, know what his, you know what his power is? He's rich and intelligent. And he has an arc reactor keeping his shrapnel out of his heart and powering his suit. Now, from the beginning, Marvel Comics exercised a whole lot of control over the two Spider-Man series. The one that aired in syndication and the one that aired on NBC. Stan Lee was working with screenwriters involving himself with the casting and the animation to make sure that the cartoon would still have the look and feel of the comics. One thing that they could not control was the show was not done on the cheap, but you could definitely see that there was some recycling influence. Some of the sound effects were from Battlestar Galactica and Buck Rogers. And then they added a pet a pet Lhasa Apso named Miss Lion. Because in the 80s, if you were a superhero group, you had an animal getting into mischief. But let's talk about the three principals on the show and the host of voices that surrounded the three principals on the show. Playing the lead role of Spider-Man would be Dan Gilveson, who would also go on to be the voice of Bumblebee in the Transformers franchise. Although, let's be honest, the voice of Bumblebee is being very loose there. Well, when I say the Transformers franchise, I mean the 80s cartoons and the Transformers, the movie. I know, but Bumblebee doesn't really talk, right? He does talk. 
oh, I guess that was invented for the movies. That was invented for Michael Bay's stuff, yeah. Oh, what a rip. But he is still doing some guest work. He is most recently in episodes of Shameless and The Morning Show on Apple TV+. And also Parks and Recreation. And future entry, Sullivan and Son. He played an announcer. I know, stretch. Editor's note, Sullivan and Son is not on the list, and it will not be covered. Over my dead body, will Sullivan and Son be on our list? Sorry, just gotta get that off my chest. Playing the role of Firestar, Angelica Jones, character created for this show, Kathy Garver, who is and will always be Catherine Sissy Patterson in Family Affair. Wait, who'd she play in Family Affair? She played Sissy. She played the teenage daughter. Oh, okay. She yeah, didn't she play- didn't play Buffy. No, she was not the one who had Mrs. Beasley. So... She didn't ask Mr. French to make a sandwich for the doll. Are you going to do Marlon Brando again? As, uh, oh, as yeah. Let me, Cabot? Oh, let me do that. Buffy, Jody, for her lunch, I have meat, peanut butter, and bananas. Would you make a sandwich for my doll, Miss Beasley? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Of course, I get a sandwich, stupid little doll. Hang on a second. Do we find a new running gag? That's great. That is that is incredible. By the way, a couple of fun facts here. Kathy Garver would reprise her role as Sissy on the short-lived Aunt Sissy in 2020. What? Wait, what? There's a show called Aunt Sissy. It came out in 2020. It lasted for six episodes. And it had Kathy Garver in the Uncle Bill role. On what channel? On Facebook Watch. Oh, that explains it. Facebook Watch. But on a bigger screen, she was an imposter on a 2021 episode of To Tell the Truth, where she had to play Dolly Parton's sister. Wow. It's a good show, ABC. Come on, give us some more. I just wanted her to ask Dolly Parton, Can you make Mrs. Beasley a peanut butter banana sandwich? And then Dolly Parton saying, You need to do crap for your little doll. You're, hold on. Could you imagine if Bobby Drake made a peanut butter and banana sandwich for Mrs. Beasley? And rounding out the cast as Bobby Iceman Drake. Frank Megatron Walker. Legendary. He is definitely in the Hall of Fame next year. Just saying. But they would not be the only legend in this whole show. Let's get to the episodes. And we start with the first season, which had 13 episodes. The first of which is called The Triumph. Of the Green Goblin. The Green Goblin wants to poison the city's water supply with a formula that will turn everyone into creatures like him. 
Wait, he's stealing ideas from the lizard? Oh, wait, that's like in another 30 years. Yeah. The episode itself was written by Dennis Marks, who is one of the people who created the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. So, really good stuff. And as we've established on a previous episode, I've never seen the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. And Chico thinks that that's terrible that I've ever seen it. Terrible. And I'm indifferent just because I think you were too young for that. And I didn't care for Dungeons and Dragons back in the day. Okay. But hold on. I am going to watch that Dungeons and Dragons movie with Chris Pine that's now on Paramount Plus. So am I. I heard that's very good. And I will watch it for Chris Pine. No, you'll watch it for Chris Pine, but really you're doing it for Chris Pine's daddy. That is true. By the way, as we're recording this episode, Star Trek Into Darkness is Eric on CBS right now. You know, the TV season is over. It ended with the Survivor finale on Wednesday. We have to show something. Yeah, because who knows when we're going to get TV back to normal again. Right where that is one. correct. All right, so Angelica in this episode dresses as Spider-Woman. Bobby dresses up as Captain America. This is all at a costume contest, by the way. And Peter dresses up as... You know who. Wait, let me guess. Does he show up dressed as Wolverine? Yeah, Greg, he dresses up as Wolverine. Oh, that's great. He doesn't dress up as Wolverine. Oh, damn it! Okay, meanwhile, Norman Osborn, the Green Goblin, is cooking up a formula that changed him from the scientist, respected scientist, to a nut job. Harry tells me you're quite the science whiz. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. And he wants everyone else in the city to be like him, so he kidnaps his niece, Mona, who doesn't recognize him. Mona, by the way, she too is in the Hall of Fame next year. Played by Sally Julian. Chico's apparently making all his selections for the Hall of Fame this episode. Because, you know, he only gets three, and it sounds like he's inducting two of them right there. Well, no, we inducted four last year. So he can put four in if he wants. Okay, but but still, he's he's really playing like half his hand right here, which I think is maybe pushing it, but he can play it how he wants. And also, I wonder if if uh, Norman offered Peter some eugenics. Oh, shit. Um, it's up to the spider friends to save the day. By the way, we did not mention a recurring character, Aunt May Parker, who I guess bequeathed Spider Friends, their apartment slash crime lab. She's played by a legendary June Foray. Oh, that's great. Episode two The Crime of All Centuries. Craven the Hunter is in New York City to show off his prehistoric animals. However, his sideshow is a cover for his plot to take over New York City by hatching a dinosaur army. 
Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <clears throat> We're going to have Jurassic Park 12 years early. Violation of the timeline. Violation of the timeline. He steals a rare ruby, the Eye of India, and kidnaps Firestar to coerce her into harnessing her energy to power a growth energizer, which will hatch the eggs containing the dinosaurs. Oh, did you see who's voicing Craven the Hunter in this episode? Who's voicing Craven the Hunter in this episode? Okay, I mentioned you were pushing your agenda of, hey, we're going to have these people in the Hall of Fame next year. I didn't see anybody argue with me, by the way. Okay, but I'm just saying, you have four slots, and you sort of earmarked two of them for uh, Sally Jillian and Frank Welker. Well, guess what? I'm already earmarking one of my four slots for this person, because how many times have we talked about this guy? Oh, my gosh. We're in probably close to double digits at this point. I'm talking about Robert Ridgely. Yes, I'm talking about the same Robert Ridgely who was in... Uncle Crocs Block, and the same Bob Ridgely who was in... What wasn't Bob Ridgely in? Oh, or, oh I, I'm so flustered I actually need to pull up IMDb for this. I can tell you right now, uh, he did not voice Craven the Hunter in this episode. That's what IMDb says. I have on Wikipedia George DeCenzo. My IMDb will fight your uh, George DeCenzo. Well, hold on. Let me check the credits here. Because I got Disney Plus all queued up. By the way, basically, every episode is on Disney Plus of this show. I say basically because there's a reason why, which we'll get to later. It just has all the voice talent. It doesn't have freaking who voiced who on the credits. Damn it! Okay, so you know what? It was Bob Ridgely who we talked about previously in Domestic Life, and we've talked about him in Saturday Supercade, and of course we brought him up multiple times because he was Chuck Fleck, the game show host on the game show episode of Night Court. I am human sweat. I want to be your love slave. So just in the first what, 20 minutes, half hour of this episode, we've declared three Hall of Famers for next year. I just have one thing to say. You don't sound like Aaron Taylor Johnson to me. Episode 3, The Fantastic Mr. Frump. Mr. Frump, a downtrodden homeless man, gets a hold of an ancient amulet that Dr. Doom had hoped to use to gain control of the world. As Frump is realizing the amulet's powers and making many new friends as a result, Dr. Doom plots to trick Frump into handing over the amulet. Hold on. I love the preview pick on Disney Plus for the uh, episode. It's Mr. Frump holding a kitty cat. Playing Mr. Frump, Alan Young, a.k.a. Wilbur from Mr. Ed. But also, Uncle Scrooge on the original DuckTales. And playing the voice of Dr. Doom, Shepard Hinkin. Full-time Hollywood actor. He was in David and Bathsheba, The Tanger Incident, and Killers from Space in 1953. Ooh, Killers from Space. 
but he was also in episodes of I Love Lucy, I Spy, and The Wild Wild West. Oh, the original Wild Wild West. He also voiced the title character in one of my favorite animated bits from when I was a kid, Ricky Ticky Tabby, the Chuck Jones joint. Episode four, Sunfire. The gang meets Sunfire, a mutant who has powers identical to those of Firestar. Sunfire reveals that his uncle Genju needs assistance in starting a fusion reactor which will supply power to the world, unaware that Genju simply wants to gain enough power so he cannot be defeated in his quest to rule the world. Playing the role of Genju, noted Asian-American voice actor Ki Luke. And playing the role of Sunfire, Jerry Dexter. He is not a noted Asian-American voice actor. And Disney Plus makes specific mention of this in their streaming of this episode. In fact, I have the note here from Wikipedia. In 2020, Disney Plus placed a warning on this episode for a racially insensitive portrayal of Sunfire. In the episode, Sunfire is portrayed as speaking English with a Japanese accent. And going back to Key Luke for a quick moment, his name rang a bell, and I see why. We talked about him previously on Voyagers. He played in one episode, Kubla Khan. Fun fact, Sunfire is Firestar's half-brother. Episode 5, Swarm. A meteor crashes into a beehive, creating a mutant creature that calls itself Swarm whose body is made up of thousands of bees. Bees! Not the bees! Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! Swarm, whose lair is a giant beehive where the meteor radiating its power is housed, immediately begins mutating worker bees into huge drones, then begins zapping the residents of New York City into drones. Playing the role of Swarm is Al... And this is the second reference in two weeks to this little, um, how should I phrase this? This unique quirk that happened in the Naked Gun movies where they would credit people as their quote. Because we talked about uh, the guy from uh, PV's Big Adventure. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. And then we also talked about, you know, your coat, sir, last week, I believe. Alphan is credited as it's four minutes too slow in the Naked Gun two and a half. Oh, that's fantastic. Episode six. Seven little superheroes. A mysterious stranger invites the spider friends, an unknown to them, Submariner, Shauna the She-Devil, Captain America, and Doctor Strange to a weekend at Wolf Island. Of course, Shanna is referred to as Jungle Queen rather than She-Devil on this episode. Playing the role of Shanna the She-Devil, Janet Waldo, another legend. Judy Jetson, Penelope Pitstop. And playing the role of Captain America, George Desenzo, 
want to say we've talked about him before. And then we have one person playing two heroes, playing both Doctor Strange and Namor the Submariner, William Woodson, known as the narrator of The Odd Couple. He's the guy who says, can two men live together without going crazy? Okay, going back to George DeCenzo. We did talk about George DeCenzo previously, Chico, because he voiced Captain Lou Albano on Hulk and, Ho- on Hulk and Hogan's. Oh, for fuck's sake. Rubber Hulk and Hogan. Yeah, he- Hulk, Hulk and Hogan's Hogan. rock wrestling. Okay, let me, try let me try that again. Oh, fuck, that was funny. Hulk and Hogan's rock wrestling. Chico, there's reasons George DeCenzo's name rang a bell. We've talked about him multiple times. Most recently, we talked about him in Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. He was Captain Lou Albano, but also he was the voice of Hordak. So that means we talked about him in He Man and She Ra, a Christmas special. Dildo Copter reference. Uh, Dildo Copter. Still the greatest thing ever. Now let's talk more about Hulk and Hogan's Rock Wrestling. Brother. We were talking about the Ultimate Wrestling Federation again, Greg. You'd be so proud of me. No. Oh, Herb Abrams UWF? By the way, Dark Side of the Ring Season 4, premiering on Vice the week we're recording this. Episode 7, Video Man. Video Man. Video Man. Electro plots to take over New York City by harvesting all of the city's electric power, because why not? To help him accomplish his scheme, he breaks into an arcade video game to create Video Man, an electronic being whose primary aim is to gather the needed supplies to create the giant transformer that will give Electro the unlimited power he desires and stop any spider friends that get in his way. Playing the role of Electro, Alan Melvin from Flash Gordon and also Archie Bunker's place. We have mentioned Alan Melvin in the past because I remember talking about him playing Barney Hefner on Archie Bunker's place. But also at the same time, going through his IMDb, he was on 16 episodes of Foofer as Chucky. Because we love our Foofer references. Oh yeah, Foofer. We gotta get at least one mention of Foofer in an episode. I see where we talked about him. Alan Melvin played the voice of Wacky and Packy in the Wacky and Packy cartoons on Uncle Croc's block. Ah, of course. So wait, 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 wait. Hold on, wait. Is that the second reference to Uncle Croc's block this episode? Yeah, but that's only because the first one was baked in. Well, no, I'm not talking about the, the eight episodes more than Uncle Croc's Block or whatever. Didn't we talk about Uncle Croc's Block earlier this episode? Maybe. I don't know. Probably. Well, so hold wait, on. So, so, so wait. So history has repeated itself the second week in a row. We made another reference for the first time ever. Well, not really the first reference. We made multiple references to Uncle Croc's block in the same episode for the second time in recorded history on this episode. That's a landmark occasion, people. Hold on. 
Hashtag Croc Block. Well, hold on a second. It is the second reference to Uncle Croc's Block because we said that in episode two, the baddie was voiced by Robert Ridgely. So there you go. Robert Ridgely, Alan Melvin, two people from Uncle Croc's Block who happened to be on the same series together, not the same show. Now, what we're hoping for is a surprise appearance from Charles Nelson Riley or Phyllis Diller in one of the next, what, like 17 episodes. Yeah, that's not happening. Fingers crossed. Uh, Frank Welker actually pulls double duty as both Iceman and Video Man. Episode 8, The Prison Plot. The evil Magneto places a force field around the prison island, holding the prison staff and others attending a convention, including the Spider Friends, hostage. Magneto seizes control of the power supply to the entire East Coast and threatens to destroy the Earth unless his brotherhood of evil mutants are immediately paroled from jail. Yeah, that's not happening, Magneto. Playing Magneto, Michael Rye, who is a that voice from that thing, but he has been in actual on-screen television roles on Dr. Kildare and 77 Sunset Trip. Episode 9, Spidey Goes Hollywood. Wait a minute, Spidey Goes Hollywood? Yep, Spidey Goes Hollywood. Spider-Man investigates a series of efforts to sabotage movie producer Sam Blockbuster's attempts to make a movie based on the web slinger's life. Mysterio, who is revealed as the culprit, that makes sense, cons Blockbuster into having Spidey star as himself as part of a plan to kill off his nemesis. Hold on a second. His name, director, is named Sam Blockbuster. His name is Sam Blockbuster. I guarantee you that's not his Christian name. But hold on a second. Why would they make a movie about Spider-Man's life? Wouldn't they need permission from Spider-Man to, like, make a movie about his life? Yeah. Is this like the, uh, the Barry Berkman movie in the last season of Barry? Probably. So wait, how far, have you seen all the episodes leading up to the finale as we're taping this? I'm still two episodes short of the finale. I apologize. I apologize. Well, when you get to the next to last episode, it's hilarious. By the way, playing the role of Mysterio, somebody that we've discussed multiple times on this podcast. That would be Peter, that guy from the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show, Cullen. He may have played Optimus Prime in several movies. Including one that's playing probably right now. Yeah, that one, which I'm going to see, by the way. Yeah, the dude from In the Heights is in it. Yeah, and Ron Perlman plays the voice of Optimus Primal. I mean, it's Ron Perlman. Oh, you had me at Ron Perlman. Let's go. I want to see who played Sam Blockbuster. Alan Dinahart, who played numerous roles on this show on numerous episodes. Mike, that's not a good name, right? Sam Blockbuster. That's so generic. 
Wow, what a difference. Greg, episode 10, The Vengeance of Loki. Oh, yeah, Loki! The Spider-Friends team with Thor to stop Thor's evil half-brother Loki in his effort to acquire the ancient twins of the gods' gems. The gems will grant unlimited power to whomever holds both of them, and if Loki were to get them both, the trickster god would be absolutely unstoppable in wreaking havoc over New York City. New York City! So I'm guessing this is when Thor is still going by Donald Blake. Yeah. Thank God they didn't use that in the movies. Obi Trice, real names, no gimmicks. Thor in this episode is played by Vic Farine, best known for providing the control voice in The Outer Limits. Oh, that's nice, The Outer Limits. Playing the voice of Loki is John Stevenson. I believe he's best known as the first voice of Fred Jones on Scooby-Doo. And without a doubt, the second most notable person to play Loki. We're not counting the crocodile Loki? Oh, that's right, the crocodile Loki. Oh, no, uh, hold on. Richard E. Grant is number two. I stand corrected. Episode 11. (laughs) Richard E. Grant. Oh, that was great. Hold on. That was so great on season one of Loki when Richard E. Grant basically played 1960s Loki among the Loki variants. But Crocodile Loki was the best of all the Loki variants. Episode 11, Knights and Demons. Spider-Man, Iceman, and Firestar team with the Black Knight to stop the evil sorcerer Mordred from escaping to the Land of Shades with the Black Knight's ebony blade in hand. You're just saying words now, Marvel. Hold on, time out. I'm sharing. There it is! There it is right there! It's Crocodile Loki, everybody! Okay. Mike, what do you think of Crocodile Loki? He's speechless. I, I don't have words. It's a crocodile, but it has, like, ram horns. Okay, so playing the Black Knight this episode is Johnny Hamer, who is known as Caliburst on the Transformers, and was an announcer for previous entry, Door Numbers Up. And as we've established, Thanksgiving 1985 was very upsetting for Mike, because he didn't have your numbers up. It was preempted for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. That's still sad. Press F to pay respects. Episode 12. Ah. Hold on! I love that you referenced that part in the PC version of that Call of Duty game of Kevin Spacey. And so it is time to say farewell to Private William Robert Irons. A man There's the casket. That's a nice one. Hold X to pay respects? <laughs> what does that mean? That's crazy. Is there a button for, I'm here because I thought I might meet somebody, but I didn't care about the guy, you know? 
Yeah. Hold X to pay respect. Should I do it? Yeah. Okay, here we go. I'm, this is a really emotional moment for me. <laughs> you can also walk around the funeral if you want. Okay, look, I'm too, I'm too close to this guy and he's getting creeped out. <laughs> look, look. When is he going to notice that I'm too close? <laughs> Episode 12, Pawns of the Kingpin. The Kingpin plots to steal the Omni Blaster, a secret military weapon that would make him unstoppable as he goes on a daring crime spree. To ensure his success, he uses a special mind control disc to turn Captain America and Iceman into his co-conspirators. Oh, that's not cool. Kingpin is using mind control to control America's ass. George Asenzo back at Cap. Playing the role of Kingpin, Walker Edmiston, who is a prolific voice actor. He was actually on old puppet shows on KTLA, The Buffalo Billy Show, and Time for Beanie. Hold on. Time for Beanie. I'm for Beanie and Cecil. He was also in Dumbo Circus on the Disney Channel. Pandemonium, and previous entry, Lidsville. Oh, Lidsville. Playing Dr. Faustus, co-developer of this show, Dennis Marks. We've talked about him already. And the season finale, do not go looking for this on your DVD sets or Disney+. Plus. You will not find it, and it will become obvious as I talk about the episode. The episode is called Quest for the Red Skull. The spider friends and Professor Hiawatha Smith follow the Red Skull to an African island where he plans to use experimental Nazi weapons to start World War III. The Red Skull finds out that he's being tracked and has the spider friends and Smith captured and straps them to missiles. Yikes! To say the very least, Greg. Playing the role of Hiawatha Smith, Michael Ansara, who plays the Blue Jinn, King Kamehameha, and a major on three different episodes of I Dream of Genie. Well, speaking of I Dream of Genie, his wife, his second wife, Barbara Eden. And playing... The Red Skull in this episode, Hans Conrad, known as Captain Hook in Peter Pan, the original Peter Pan made by Disney. He was also Dr. Dredd in Drac Pack. And playing the narrator for this first season, I cannot believe we didn't bring him up sooner. Dick Tufeld, the voice of the robot from Austin Space. Oh, okay. So he would be the narrator for this first season. Now, it's probably painfully obvious why this episode is not on any sort of package for this show. Nazi imagery, Nazi scumbaggery, and open references to Adolf Hitler. That would never fly. So that's the first season. And looking at the schedule, it aired on NBC at 11.30. 
right as you were getting ready to watch Soul Train. On the other networks, we have on ABC, Goldie Gold and Action Jack, Thundar the Barbarian, and Schoolhouse Rock. And the first half hour on CBS, the Tarzan Lone Ranger Zorro Adventure Hour. NBC literally could not lose with this 11.30 time slot. Oh, no. Especially against, what the hell was that on CBS again? The first half hour of the Tarzan Lone Ranger Zorro Adventure Hour. That is the stupidest title. Suffice it to say, it was a big hit for NBC to wind up the Saturday morning lineup. Although, if I'm not mistaken, there was something on after the Daffy Speedy show. Oh, Daffy Duck and Speedy Gonzalez had their own show. This show was built for success, and it succeeded. It was renewed for a second season, but the second season would only have three episodes. Three episodes? But they would make up for it in the third season. Oh, good. But right now, my spidey sense is tingling. Oh, wait. No, it's just some era-appropriate commercials. Casey, you're on the air. Spider-Man and his amazing friends will return after these messages. Trash trucks in trouble. Here comes hell. Checking out the news about... Trash trucks sold separately. All right! When you buy these detailed Hot Wheels vehicles in specially marked packages, you can get this new Hot Wheels belt buckle free. Look what I got free with my new Hot Wheels! Check it out! The new Hot Wheels rig wrecker. Some cars not for use with some sets. New from Hot Wheels by Mattel. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the Star Wars saga began, and Kenner continues the excitement. Scout Walker, vehicle maintenance energizer, and action figure each sold separately. Tough battle at it, Commander. Recharge the overdrive unit. Recharging, sir. Check the leg for battle damage. Looks bad, but this'll fix it. Lasers at full power, sir. Let's go! Good hunting, sir. Scout Walker, vehicle maintenance energizer, and action figure each sold separately. From Kenner's Star Wars, the Empire Strikes Back collection. I need a dairy. I'm playing rocking chase. A video game cartridge you have to buy separately to play on the Intellivision video game system. Why are you talking like that? They always do. Then they say your parents have to hook it up to the TV. After that, you can start to pick up gold. Trouble is, the police are coming. So you have to keep both eyes on the game. Oh, brother. Do they say that too? Funny. Intellivision Master Component from Mattel Electronics. Lock and chase video game cartridge sold separately. You're in the big Bubblegum stuffed into a giant stay fresh pouch for big league flavor and big league bubbles. It's big league chew. You're in the big you're in the big we now return to Spider Man and his amazing friends. Okay, so the second season would bring about some notable changes. First of all, the web slinger would be moving 
to 11 o'clock, and he would be paired for the hour with the Incredible Hulk. So they temporarily retitled the show The Amazing Spider-Man and The Incredible Hulk. Makes sense. Yeah, so I imagine that they re-ran the first 13 episodes, added three new ones, and also packaged the 26 from syndication. Instant hit. But like I said, we have three new episodes, and each episode would actually be an origin story of one of the Spider-Friends, narrated by Stanley. First one, the origin of Iceman. When Iceman seems to be losing his mutant powers, the gang recalls how Bobby Drake acquired them in the first place. They later determine that it may be connected to Video Man's latest plot to sap New York City of its electric power. Even though we already established Video Man was created in an earlier episode, so this makes no sense continuity-wise. Playing Professor X, because remember, Iceman was in the X-Men before he met Spider-Man. Stanley Jones. He actually played Lex Luthor in Challenge of the Super Friends. And he would later be the narrator of Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, that's great. The narrator in Little Shop of Horrors. Episode 2. Along came Spidey. Spider-Man battles the Shocker, who is attempting to escape after an armed robber. And in the aftermath, Aunt May is seriously injured, and Peter becomes very depressed and considers giving up his powers. So this is basically the plot of Spider-Man 2, but with the Shocker instead of Dr. Octopus. So wait, we don't get a scene of raindrops are falling on my head? No. Oh. I was wondering if we get another version of that scene where I thought my TV was broken. But yeah, we do have the return of John Stevenson as the Shocker. While Peter considers giving up being Spider-Man after telling Angelica and Bobby his origin, which involves, of course, a radioactive spider bite, his first wall crawl, a wrestling mask, science experiments, superstardom, a burglar he didn't stop, and a death in the Parker family, which taught Peter the lesson of his life. All together now, class, with great power comes comes great great responsibility. responsibility. Episode 3, A Fire Star is Born, which actually establishes Angelica as a member of the what? Well, remember, she was created for the show, but also it's like, well, she basically has mutant powers anyway, so it makes sense. During an X-Men reunion, Angelica Jones recounts how she became Firestar and dealt with a childhood full of torment. Next to her nemesis, Bonnie, who lifted a prank from the movie Carrie. Oh, no, I know how this ends. Stanley Jones returns as Professor X, and he also voices Cyclops. 
voicing the juggernaut, William Marshall. I'm the juggernaut. You better know William Marshall as the king of cartoons. Oh, yeah, the king of cartoons, who, as the G-Man most notably said, mentioned that all his cartoons sucked. So like we said before, it was renewed for a third season. For season three, Spidey and friends would swing back to 1130, leading into reruns of Thundar the Barbarian and leading out of Mr. T. And by this time, it would be up against on ABC, the new Scooby and Scrappy-Doo show and the weekend specials, and on CBS, the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show. Oh, you're not beating the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner show. I believe after this season, NBC was content to just let the show run its course and cut it off right at the end, Mark. But what a beginning we have here for episode one, Spider-Man Unmasked. While the spider friends are vacationing, the Sandman shows up and discovers Spider-Man's true identity. But the spider friends try to convince him that he's wrong. Wait, do they get Doctor Strange involved in this? We see his costume, but no, he is not involved one bit. We see a lot of costumes on this episode. We see... (laughs) A place is called Stan's Costumes Shop. Oh, I get it. And the costumes we see, The Thing, Captain America, Black Panther, Iron Man, Elektra, Doctor Doom, Firebird, Daredevil, Dazzler, and Doctor Strange. I'm guessing Doctor Strange was busy helping Wong or something at the Sanctum than bother to show up at this. I would think so, yes. Playing the role of Sandman is Christopher Collins, comedian, best known as the voice of Cobra Commander in G.I. Joe and Starscream in Transformers. Wow, we got a lot of Transformers people on this show. Well, remember, Transformers and G.I. Joe were co-productions of Hasbro and Marvel. So, Oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah, the association. Episode two, The Bride of Dracula. While at a dance, Angelica is lured outside by a stranger and hypnotized. The stranger takes her aboard his plane and they go to Transylvania, but not without Iceman and Spider-Man right behind them. The stranger is revealed to be Dracula. They get Angelica free, but still have to fight against Frankenstein and a werewolf. So in the Marvel Universe, Dracula is real. Yes. And apparently he has his own friends, the werewolf and Frankenstein's monster. Walker Edmondson returns as the monster and playing Dracula, Stanley Jones again. Episode three, the education of a superhero. 
The gamesman has developed a machine that will hypnotize young people through video arcade machines. What's with all these video arcade shenanigans? Well, it's the early 80s. Everything's video arcades. Like, all the kids, they love these video arcades. You gotta get them on this TV somehow. Through a glitch in an arcade machine, Francis Bite, a young, nerdy teenager, develops the superpower to turn himself into an electronic being called Video Man. They're retconning Video Man again. This is the third time they've this retconned Video Man. This is the third time they've retconned Video Man. They think we're not paying attention. There's only 24 episodes on this damn show. Unfortunately, he doesn't know how to be a superhero. Okay, so this is Video Man's face heel turn, basically. While battling the gamesmen, the spider friends help Video Man, and in the end, the best help is found at the mansion of Professor Charles Xavier. Oh, that's nice. Good old Professor X can help him out. Episode 4. Attack of the Arachnoid. A woman named Monica videotaped the successful fight between the spider friends and the scorpion, and a chemical scientist named Zoltan Amadeus is collecting data on Spider-Man and plans to retain the powers of Spider-Man and use them for his own financial gain and framing the real Spider-Man. But problems arise when Zoltan's powers change him into a half-man, half-spider creature called the Arachnoid. You know, Man Spider was right there. Why didn't you just use that? I'm guessing Peter has that copyrighted. Playing the voice of Monica on this episode, Susan Blue, who was actually on Education of a Superhero, as a different character. And playing the voice of the Scorpion, Neil Ross. Yes, that Neil Ross. Early at Voltron, later press your luck. Oh, that's terrific. Episode 5, The Origin of the Spider-Friends. Stan Lee narrates how Spider-Man, Iceman, and Firestar first joined forces to battle the Beetle and become known as the Spider-Friends. We also meet Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man, in this episode, and it's revealed in this episode that Tony Stark gave them all that fancy equipment that Peter and his friends use in their studio apartment thing to help battle crime. So, good on you, Tony Stark. You used your money to good use. Playing the role of the Beatle, we're back to Christopher Collins. They have, like, Six different actors doing ten different characters. Episode six. Spidey meets the girl from tomorrow. Spider-Man meets whom he believes is the love of his life. An alien from the future named Ariel whose spaceship crash lands on Earth. They couldn't get Bull MJ. Bullshit, this is the love of his life. As Spidey tries to nurture his relationship with Ariel, Dr. Octopus steals the spaceship to carry out a plan to kidnap well-armed criminals from the future. Oh no, Dr. Octopus, what are you doing? He used to be such a good man. Oh, those damn tentacles infecting his brain. 
playing the role of Dr. Octopus in this episode would be Michael Bell, who played, among other things, because if we went through all of his credits, we'd be here all day. Major Voss in Hunter, the narrator on the E! True Hollywood story, Les Crowley on Dallas, and voices in such TV shows as Batman the Animated Series, Disney's Aladdin, Fight of the X-Men, the animated pilot where he played Cyclops, and at least six of the Joes on G.I. Joe. But playing the voice of Ariel, Kathy Cavadini, the original voice of Blossom from the Powerpuff Girls. Episode 7, The X-Men Adventure. The Spider-Friends beat the X-Men and battle a cyber. There's a lot to unpack in this episode, so just follow me here. George DeCenzo plays Cyclops. Kathy Garver plays Storm. By the way, should be noted, Kathy Garver, a Caucasian, Aurora Monroe, an African-American. Dennis Marks plays Cyberlad. John Stevenson plays Colossus and Thunderbird. And William Calloway plays Wolverine. Who speaks with an Australian accent for some reason on this show. Need I remind you, Wolverine is Canadian. Hugh Jackman is Australian. World of Difference. Episode 8. Mission Save the Guard Star. The spider friends are hired by the counterterrorism agency SHIELD to capture a mutant named Lightwave who is said to be after the Guard Star satellite. Lightwave turns out to be Aurora Dante, a half-sister of Iceman. The Spider-Friends and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents learn that Lightwave, whose mutant power is to control and manipulate light energy, is being controlled by someone else who is after the Guard Star. Annie Lockhart voices Lightwave in this episode. Among her credits... She did voiceovers in Aliens vs. Predator Requiem, Eagle Eye, and The Time Traveler's White. And that's the show. And like we said, as good as it was, NBC was very happy to let it go at 24 episodes. But Marvel always seemed to have this show on the back burner for when something failed. Growing up in the 80s, I thought this show lasted longer than it actually did. Oh, yeah, because they kept rerunning it, rerunning it for years. It's like something gets canceled and we need something to hold over until we can find something else. Oh, just rerun Spider-Man. Just run Spider-Man. We have the episodes. We have Marvel's Blessing. Just run Spider-Man. And that would carry over in uh, the 87-88 season in syndication when Marvel decided we're going to get into the block party sort of deal with 
the Marvel Action Universe. Because when it started out, we had Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Dino Riders, and Robocop. Spider-Man, of course, was the reruns. Then you had the two new shows, Dino Riders and Robocop, which Marvel had the rights to make comic books out of. It's also where we got the Pride of the X-Men pilot. As good as Batman was in the 90s, Spider-Man was in the 80s. In fact, Adam Levine of Looper said, the mutant duo became a memorable pairing for Spider-Man, and the series has been fondly remembered in the decades since for its quaint stories, colorful villains, lighthearted nature, and iconic introductions by creator Stan Lee. The animation was a step up from previous attempts, even if it was still relatively simplistic, and stories explored more of Peter Parker's personal life than the 1960s series before it. IGN went so far as to rank this show 59th in its top 100 animated series of all time, saying, The animation was predictably budget for the time, particularly when viewed in the post-spectacular Spider-Man world of ours, but it was fun nonetheless. And like we said before, the show had a bit of legacy where Firestar was incorporated into the mainline Marvel Universe in uh, issue 193 of the Uncanny X-Men as part of Emma Frost's Hellions team. She was given an origin story in a self-titled miniseries that came out three years after this show was canceled. And the character went on to become a founding member of the New Warriors and later a member of the Avengers, which is basically like med school if you're a Marvel character. Although still has not been portrayed in live action yet, unlike the other two. We have Tom Holland. We have Sean Ashmore. We got nobody playing Firestar. Image not found. Well, what else do we have to say about that? But Spider-Man and his amazing friends lasted a long time on television, even though there were only 24 episodes. But in the end, it couldn't beat Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner. And so it became a thing on TV, true believers. Well, hold on. Do we have a Joey Gallo update before we close? Yeah, we can do one. But a doo Joey Gallo, he can't hit over 200, but he can sure smack a ball over the fence. It's the Joey Gallo update. Well, Joey Gallo hasn't done much the last week. He did hit a home run on Saturday. Besides that, he only had one hit in the last week. Oh. Partially because he's day-to-day. He has a hamstring injury, so he has not played since Tuesday night. So his average right now, it was 214 last week. It's down to 211. 11 homers, 23 RBIs. But he's currently on uh, the shelf because uh, of that hammy injury. So we'll see when he gets back. So that's your Joey Gallo update. So I think we can actually put a little bit of closure on this episode. As always, don't forget, we are at itwasthingontv.com. 
We have plenty of episodes there. Oh my gosh, we're almost at 400 episodes. We're going to have to fill out those lists for our favorite episodes for the last 200 or so. And once that gets released on episode 400, we'll add that to uh, YouTube and probably on uh, our socials, at least at Twitter. And speaking of Twitter and YouTube and all the socials, we're at It Was a Thing on TV, except for Facebook. We are at It Was the Thing on TV podcast. Next week, oh boy, next week we actually have a theme week. There is a theme here. Not saying all the episodes fit the theme, but there's a theme week, if that makes sense. First, we're going to talk about a social experiment of sorts, which kind of took place in the cube. The other show is kind of related to the theme, at least in title only. It's actually a clever game show, but just that title. Why did they pick that title? Is that even a thing? Did they just make that up for this TV show? I'm sort of inclined to say, yeah. But also, on top of all that, we're going to have a mini-sode. And the mini-sode is about the 20th anniversary of what should have been something that was on TV, but was not on TV. There's a backstory. And we'll get to that backstory next week right here on It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks very much for listening. We'll catch you on Monday. Wow! My back. My back. Somebody please help Peter Parker's poor back. Somebody get this guy some icy hot. Shaq, do you have any icy hot for Peter Parker? Can we get this guy a shiatsu massage?